Hello there, friends. I'm Richard Kisnan. We all knew it was coming, adulthood. Relationships and marriage, business, health, money, bills, fitness. If you're like me, we didn't think that life would come at us like this. I welcome you to join me for raw, authentic, and hopefully really fun conversations about coming into your own as an adult and to help you create a powerful life of your design. This is the Adulthood Revisited Podcast. Hey there, AR Nation. I've got a quick announcement I'd like to share with you. It's about an incredibly powerful, high-ticket marketing community that I'm a proud member of. It's called the Super Affiliate Accelerator. This program's absolutely for you if you want to be successful online. Whether you're a beginner looking to get started with an online business, and also if you already have an online business but struggling to reach your goals, the Super Affiliate Accelerator is run by three experienced and amazing coaches. Between the three of them, they've sold millions of dollars in products and services online across all different industries. Why I find the Super Affiliate Accelerator so powerful is because of its unique all-in-one blend of a proven training program, weekly coaching and mentoring from an amazing group of accomplished internet marketers, and a private mastermind community of like-minded and supportive business owners and professionals. For a limited time, the SAA coaches are offering a complimentary business strategy call. So whether you're a coach or consultant, if you provide professional services, or if you just want to start an online business, but you're confused or overwhelmed with where or how to start, I invite you to check out this incredible program, The Super Affiliate Accelerator. And you can learn more today by visiting richardkistman.com forward slash SAA. Again, that's richardkistman.com forward slash SAA. Now, let's get to today's amazing episode. Hey there, friends. How's it going? Welcome back to another episode of the Adulthood Revisited Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Kiston. I'm so glad, so thrilled that you're here spending your time with me on the podcast, doing whatever it is you may be doing wherever you are in the world. I truly appreciate it. If you haven't already done so, if you can take a brief moment after this episode and head to wherever you get your podcasts and share, subscribe, leave a rating or a view. It'll do so much to help the podcast grow. And from the bottom of my heart, I would truly appreciate it. Um, it'll do so much to spread the message and help the show grow. Today, I'm super excited to have our guest on the podcast. I, I've come to know her o- over the last year or so since I first met her through our networking group, BNI. Um, she's such a pleasure to talk to. And, you know, she's got so much to tell. We're going to dive into a lot of that here. So I'd love to introduce the AR Nation to Elizabeth Green. Elizabeth, welcome to the Adulthood Revisit Podcast. And how are you doing? You've got me smiling already, Richard. Your uh, enthusiasm and excitement, um, I hope to match it. I'm doing good. I'm doing great. I'm 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 sure it's going to be a very fun episode. So for those who haven't met Elizabeth or who haven't heard of Elizabeth, she's the owner and restaurateur of an amazing restaurant here in the New York City area, actually downtown um, Manhattan, Planted, New York. Predominantly, the menu is plant-based. But you've got, I, I, you know, you've got some some meat eat, uh, meat for people like me on their carnivores still. But we're going to dive into your ownership experience, what it's like running a running a business here in the New York City area. But also, uh, and predominantly, I want to dive into your book. You're an author. You recently recently released your memoir, not in the script. Uh, such a fun read. I I I, met, I got my hands on the book. Fortunately, Amazon delivered it super quickly. And it was such an easy read. It literally was, I mean, for those of you who don't know Elizabeth or haven't met her, it was me having a conversation with her 
and you sharing. So I want to dive into all of that. Um, so if you're ready, Elizabeth, to share, I'm ready to have you share. Absolutely. I was just going to say, in case you may, deliciously impossible meatballs are plant-based meat. It's not real meat. Those are plant-based meat. All right. Well, then. Well, that will so you know, just in case you had any illusions. Okay, go. <laughs> Very I'm ready well. Now. All right. So let's start off with, I, I want to dive into the book, but I want to shelf the substance and the stories in there. I definitely want to touch on that. But the first thing I want to ask you is, why, why decide to author a book? Uh, I know that for years, I've been trying to piece together a book, publish, and it's such a challenge. Is this something that you've wanted to do for a long while? How long did it take you to come about doing it? And maybe talk about the process of, one, deciding to write a book, and then two, writing a book in the style that you did as a memoir. Okay, I just wondered if we should give everybody a little context of my background or who I am or what made it a little contentious and mention my brother who's a entrepreneur businessman in Britain who actually had shops in America called Topshop. Um, and he's a billionaire businessman, quite controversial um, through big parties. Uh, I went to one, flew everybody to Cyprus, undisclosed destination for his um, 50th birthday. Honestly, we got to the airport and on the board it said undisclosed destination. It was interesting. And then the cabaret at the undisclosed destination was Tom Jones, Earth, Wind and Fire one night, Rod Stewart another night. Um, I can't remember who else was on, it, other luminaries. Um, if you see in the book, from when I was 18, I wanted to be a writer. It wasn't something I dreamed up in later life. Um, so I was just thinking, I just found something on my shelf, a script from a writing class I went to just now. I went to writing classes. I went to creative writing classes. I always did writing. Always, always, always. I like words. I love words now. Um, so it was a dream of mine. And in fact, which I put in the note about, notes about the author in the back inside of the book, in 2017, uh, before the restaurant was planted, it had another name. And I had took some partners on, stupid me. And uh, they kind of told me to go on gardening leave. I don't know if you call it that here. Like... Uh, Take a holiday, you know, go to the beach. Sorry, <clears throat> go to the beach, um, join a book club. So I think that in 2017 was when I completely honed the book. Some was written, obviously the India stuff was down on paper already, but that was really the year when I honed the book and started putting it together. And then I went to a, a meeting somewhere, it must be, a, I don't know, a year or two ago, and met this woman called Nubia. And as she introduced herself, she said, Oh, yes, and I self-published some books. And, you know, the light, the light dawned. And I said, oh, and I went straight up to her afterwards and said, I'd like to publish a book. So I guess, yeah, it was always a dream of mine that I was going to publish a book. And, you know, for people who don't know me, I'm, I hate saying my age, but I'm slightly older. And, but I didn't ever have it that that's a barrier to anything. So I just kept pursuing it. Yeah, I've been shocked. When I say to people I've written a book, they go, oh my God, that's fantastic. It's just quite a surprise to me. It was like, for me, it was just something I was always, always, always going to do. 
when in 2017, roughly then, when you when you decided, hey, like, there's a means to actually publish and, and bring this to reality. Um, as you kind of preface, the a, a lot of the book is you reflecting, at least my take on it. I, I don't want to spoil the book, and I, let's dive into a few stories in a bit. But your reflection on your life, particularly overcoming maybe living in the shadows or you having the sentiment of not, I don't say not being wanted, but your, your want for affection not being fulfilled um, from the people in your life. At least that's, that's one of the messages that I took from it. When you decided that, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually put my notes, put my, my thoughts on paper and publish it, when did you come to the conclusion that a, a memoir or the style in which you, you publish this book would be the best way to, to share your message? It was kind of interesting. I had, as I said, I had pieces and I threw stuff together. And during the writing, and since 2017, and especially now, I'm still writing now, I kind of discovered my style, which is me on paper. And I have a quite a black sense of English sarcastic humor. And I like to joke and I innuendo and it just kind of came together it's like it wasn't like I sat down and said I should do it this way it was like once I opened myself up to it and I make myself now I sit down in the morning and I go I'm just going to write something I'm just going to see what comes out and if you, for me if I kind of let myself go and just get into that that's what happens yes it took a lot of work to put things in order and, and name the chapters and 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 I had this interesting thought, okay, it's a memoir. And I think in one or two places, I've got the actual year wrong. Um, but I thought, nobody's, this is my voice. Nobody's going to dispute what I say. So I get to say what I want. Because if you recall, the very first line of the book says, I was brought in, up in a cold climate and I don't mean the weather. And that kind of, for me, said everything I had to say. I... I actually had been published very briefly before in about 2008. Um, I did some pieces for the Jewish Chronicle in London and I used that line there. And I remember my editor said to me, Oh, can you expand on it a bit? And I said, no, less is more. That tells you a lot. So yeah, there were several things. I was in the shadows. I got very little attention. I was kind of left to my own devices. Nobody cared much what I did. And I'm a cancer. I'm a bit oversensitive, you know, sign of the moon and needed lots of encouragement, which most people do on whatever level they display that need. Um, so, yeah, it was a curious. I just was messaging with a friend of mine this morning from London, and she's th the women in my life are thrilled that I wrote the book. The men to a T all said, Oh, you'll be sorry. They, they'll disinherit you. It was so interesting. And she was there at the beginning. And she's quite a flamboyant character. She's been in the newspapers and she used to train a few illustrious people. And my mother said to me, when I decided to get divorced, my mother said, oh, you're just getting divorced because she told you to. It was fantastic. I, I, I loved it. Again, I, I think I mentioned this as we opened, but it was... I know you and we've had conversations. It was us having a conversation, although it was just me and the book. Um, so I, I genuinely appreciated and enjoyed that style of writing um, as I was going through it. Now, 
let's let's get into some of the meat of the book and some of the stories you share. <laughs> Absolutely off the wall. I I I would have never expected some of this stuff. Um, you the the open of the book. You being so. Let me take a step back. You were ultra vulnerable in this book. You were very transparent about your life, very vulnerable about not just the occurrences in your life, but like things that people would otherwise not talk about it. You talked about problems in your marriage and, and saying that, you know, you came to the place where the marriage was no, it failed, right? It just didn't, it didn't work. It didn't exist. Mm-hmm. Um, and you talked about all the issues going, going through that and, and dealing with separating from your spouse. You talk about, you share the story of an abortion, right? Uh, with your, with your mom being in the room. That's, that to me was just I, I, amazing that you were able to share that in in the book. You share your trip to India, which was not just respite and relief. It's you know at least my experience was when I was reading that, but also life changing. So I definitely want to touch on some of that and your experience in what the Bhagwan or who are the the guru and and all all that encountered over there, including possibly. Puppy love, or whatever you want to, let's uh, we can talk about your your relationship um, with one of the individuals you met out, out in in India, and then coming to New York, being here, and the way you close out um, the book, talking about reflecting on your conversation, I guess in the audience with uh, Michael Caine, um, Morgan Freeman, uh, as they were doing re- Alan Arkin for the movie that was being released, and and you kind of reflected on on your ti- the title of the book or maybe even the title of your life. So I don't know where's a good place to start, but I, let's, let's dive into maybe chap- the, the first part of the book and talking about your marriage. Why did you feel, as you were putting together the stories in the book, like to share that much about the inside of your marriage and the troubles that you were, <clears throat> troubles or difficulties that you were enduring and and how you decided, like, it's time, it's okay that it's over, and it's time that it's over. Well, God, I waited a long time for it to be over. I mean, I, as, as you can see from the book, I probably waited 10 years longer than I should have. You see, it's, it's interesting to step back for a minute. When I hear you put it all out on the table like that, I go, oh, God, did I do all that? And there have been times when I didn't think I was very outrageous. You have to understand, and I've done a lot, a lot of work on myself. I went to India, and it wasn't just to run around with the guys. It was kind of serious to have a look inside me and see what was missing, what wasn't there, what I wanted to get to. What There's a piece where the, the guru, Bhagwan, says, a life without love is a life not worth living. And I totally get that. I hope people listening will understand. It's like, and it has to be self-love. And oh my God, I loathed myself for years. So I worked very, very hard on that. And then I came, I got back to England, did some more self-development work. I did some more here. It didn't just all overnight. Like I didn't like wake up one morning and have a revelation and go, oh my God, you know, here I am. And, And I was always quite outspoken. Our family are quite outspoken, I guess. And I was always, I just always wanted to tell the truth. I just, my truth. I tried not to say how it was for other people, but I just tried to say how I felt because I needed to 
get it out. Um, and I kind of, I must have got to a point where I, it didn't matter what people thought about what I said, because it was what I said. And you can agree or disagree or approve or disapprove. And the same with the language in the book. I kind of made a decision to be straightforward about what was going on. Um, you know, to do with the sex and the, I was going to say drugs and rock and roll, but there wasn't any. Um, well, there was and there wasn't, depending on your point of view. No, I just, it was like, yeah, it was like putting me down on paper. And once I opened the floodgate, it came out. Going back to India, because that was, I think, what, two years that you spent there? Um, I did. Something about around approaching two years. What was, looking back on it now, what was of, of the things you experienced there? Again, there was time in, in this temple or in this, uh, I guess, meditative group, self-learning group uh, with Bhagwan, who was the leader. There, there are stories of, you know, flings and sex and, and meeting a, a movie producer who kind of was, it sounded like flirtation, but borderline love. Looking back on that now, as we sit here today in 2021, which one of those memories to you like stands out the most and, and was most impactful on your life? I have to tell you something funny. Um, there's somebody in the book I mentioned, Anam, um, because I suddenly realized maybe I should just send him what I'd written about him just to see if it was okay with him. I'm still in touch with him today, and that was 40 years ago. Um, and we've been texting back and forth. I knew him in London before we all went to India. He was a friend of mine. Um, and then I saw him in India. And what I realized looking back is it was very daring do. I mean, I just wanted to get away from home and get away from my mother and get away. That was about the strength of it. I, I'd done some meditations in London and I'd seen all the people wearing orange with the beads. And I, and I took somebody's daughter to India to stay six weeks, stayed a few months, came back, got rid of everything in England and then went back for the rest of the two years. Um, it was just so unexpected. You know, you're in the sunshine in India. Um, it, it's just like, it couldn't have been more more different from anything I'd ever experienced. And the thing I'd say about all the sex and all that is, it wasn't that much different from what was going on in North London. It was just a bit more out in the open, you know, as you know. All that goes on in the suburbs anywhere. So all the big deal about, oh, he was the sex guru, the free love guru. Yes, it was shocking to the Indians. If we walked down the road and held hands, they jeered. And also we were wearing orange clothes, which is the sign of a holy man who's renounced all his worldly goods. And, you know, we kind of, well, he had us take it to a little bit of an extreme. Um, the movie director. It's funny, when I was writing it or reading it back or correcting it or proofing it or doing whatever I was doing. I still had the same feelings and he's been a lot in the news lately because he's a bit of an enfant terrible and he still is, you know, he's done some stuff that's not so great and he's womanized and run around and done whatever he's done. I'm not judging. Um, and, uh, yeah, but when I read it back, I still had the same feelings. I really love that guy. And the woman, um, Aruna, who I stayed with when I went back after 23 years, I'm still in touch with her now. We're still friends now. So, yes, I think it was quite a meaningful, important, crazy, if you like, time in my life. I, I really enjoy it. I, and especially when 
again, I'm not going to spoil it, but your interactions with him and, and when there were conversations and pet names, I absolutely loved it. Um, I, let's turn back to your family because a, a lot of the book you mentioned throughout pretty consistently that your, your mother was, I don't want to say tough. I, don't say I have this really good word for my mother. She was formidable. It's my new, new word. I think it kind of covers everything. Yeah. You share that she was about business and that maybe mothering was, was secondary to that. Um, and in, in looking back, that you maybe have taken a polar opposite where you, where you and your children, you wanted them to like explore and, and not be controlling uh, maybe 180 percent of the, 180 degrees from what your mother was to you. How how do you think? I guess like what if you can have a conversation with your mother today? What what would that look like now that not only I think over over time you've gotten comfortable with sharing a story and just accepting what life has been and who you are, um, but maybe also accepting because you shared that in the book as well. She she had a very tough upbringing. Um, with her parents, like what, what kind of conversation do you think you would have with your mother today? That doesn't thrill me when you say that I should do that. I'll tell you something interesting. The, the same place where I went to the talk with Michael Caine and all these people, I went one day and what was her name? Um, Teresa, whatever her name is, um, Caputo, the Long Island medium was there. And I was sitting in the front and you got to ask personal questions like I recounted in the book. And I wanted to say to her, when people have crossed over to the other side, normally the messages she used to get from people, if you know who she is, were, bit, were like, oh, I miss you and I love you. And I couldn't imagine my mother sending any lovey-dovey message. And I was sitting in the front ready to ask her this question. And she, picked, she, she noticed me and picked up on my energy. And I said a little bit about my mother. And she said, actually, your it was really chilling, and I wish I could ever have the rest of the reading. But she said something like, your mother says she was sorry and she was jealous. Isn't that interesting? And I imagine she was jealous because I had the freedom that maybe she didn't have. Because the whole thing about the way you say I'm being a mother, what happens is for whatever your upbringing, and please God, if you have kids one day, <clears throat> you spend a lot of time, you say to yourself, not my mother, not my mother, not my mother. So you possibly go too far over to the other side in order to compensate for what you, what happened to you. And here's, as I, I may have said in the book, I didn't have some illustrious career that I'd left. If I had, maybe I would have carried on with it and left the kids a bit more to their own devices. But it didn't seem worth finding some menial job and money wasn't a huge difficulty. We weren't like loaded. We didn't have tons of money. They didn't lavish us with money. Believe me, always we were kept on a short leash. But I just decided that because my mother had been so absent, I'm sure that was part of it, that I should be there with them and encourage them and take part in their activities. And um, if that answers your question. It, yeah, it does. Mother. I mean, I, I look back, I don't have children. I, I hopefully do. I, I do want to be a dad. Um, but my, like, same kind of thing. I think my parents, it took me a long time to realize this, but they, they came from a different place, different time. And it's not fair 
I, I've, I've said for me, when I was growing up, I was so upset, like so frustrated that here, like on TV, you see these families and this is the way I want my family to be. But this oh, is yeah. it. Um, and so I don't know how it would be as a parent, but like increasingly I've, and this is on my end, I, there are conversations that I want to have with my parents individually and, and together. I don't know if, if they even under, like, understand what I'm asking or, or what, I'm, what I'm trying to talk to them about because their, their like, view on life or what they, what they grew up with, they couldn't contemplate what I'm, I, I think, what I'm asking or what I, what I would want from them. If that makes so sense. did you feel they held you back and they wanted to direct you in a certain way? Not, not really held me back. It's just like their world was defined by where they grew up and how they grew up. So there was only so like life for them occurred in a certain way. And there was, there was very little opportunity to let's get, let's say get out of that way of living. Whereas me, you know, and I think this is actually, a, a, you know, we're getting on a tangent here, but something that affects a lot of first generation Americans where you're, you're here in the United States, let's say, and you see all, all, this, all these promises of opportunity, education, and you can do what you want. But then at home, it's like, no, here are gender roles. Here are, here's all the limitations that you have. And that creates a huge tension. Um, and it took me a long time to like really get over that. So where were your grandparents from then? Um, I, my, so my mom's side of the family is from the Dominican Republic and my dad's side of the family from Guyana. Blimey. Yeah. Okay, well, my father's side, they were Polish first cousins who married, disaster, first cousins. And on my mother's side, my grandfather came from Russia in 1900 to escape the pogroms with his 10 brothers and sisters. And some of them got off in America, which I've mentioned in the book, and some of them got off in England. And I always say, if only my grandfather had stayed on the boat one more stop. I just felt very, I just feel much more free here. Um, I know New York isn't a total reflection of America. I know New York's its own place, so to speak. But um, there's no to anything here. I spent a lot of time in London being told I was too this and too that and too noisy and too blah, 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 blah. And so for me, coming to New York was kind of like it's because people say to me, oh, don't you miss your kids? It's like, no, this is my time. I served my time. I did my time. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, this is my time. Um, I, I want to ask you about the, uh, what was the story in there? Um, the, if, you're, if you're amenable to talking about it, the abortion, like when you discuss that, not, not the exact, not the circumstance, but your decision to include that in the book. Like how was it needed? I needed to, I needed to express it. And it was a horrible, horrible episode. It sat with me for years and years and years and years and years. I don't know, did I end the chapter off by saying that I might have a son walking around somewhere? I mean, I, I, it was like, I mean, it wasn't hundreds of, what it was in the sixties or something, but it was like different values then. And my mother was so obsessed with like what people think and how you appear to the neighbors and all that good stuff. When you, I just wanted to, I wanted to correct you earlier. She was, yes, she was in the room when the doctor said, is there something you'd like to discuss with me first? Patient confidentiality, like if you were pregnant and I, you know, obviously that was what it was, but I knew there was going to be a storm. And my father had already died by then. So it was just me and my mother. My brother was at boarding school. So um, 
it was just a horrible, horrible episode, but I kind of felt like I didn't, well, I always had a choice in the matter and I was going to say, but I didn't have much choice in the matter. I mean, I'd been taking injections through my tights, which were obviously amphetamines for um, diet purposes. You know, I, I don't know. It just didn't seem very doable or feasible or that it could have gone. And in that circumstance at that time with what I had to deal with and how things were set up, it, it, I didn't see any other way out of it. Is that something you felt, that story, something you felt you had to share and put in this book? What? Did you find it quite shocking or what? Not shocking. I mean, it, it, it occurred. like for me, I read it and like, oh, wow, it's, it's just something that I don't think very many people would want to share. Like of all, of all the things you do share in the book, and there's, again, nothing too, I, there's some, some great stories in there, right? About mm-hmm. some of the things mm-hmm. we talked about, relationships mm-hmm. and divorce and relationships ending and sex. But I, I, that one, again, I'm a, I, I appreciate you sharing it. I just was, when I read it or was going through that story, I was like, wow, but I'm curious, like what you were, what was your mindset like when you decided, you know, what, I'm going to put this out into the world and share it. I possibly wrote that a while ago I mean, because it happened so long ago. And I'm obviously the doctor made a, te- a mistake. Like it wasn't all on me. I tried to resolve it way earlier. And he made a mistake. I went to a doctor in a street full of doctors in London. I don't know what the equivalent is here, you know, to, to resolve it. And it didn't get resolved. And I, oh, there's a million layers to it. Like I felt stupid for not realizing the situation I was in, that I was pregnant when, but the doctor told me I wasn't pregnant and I never threw up and I was healthy and I exercised and I lost weight. So who knew? Yeah. Um, which is all not an excuse. Um, yeah, because my first son is really my second son. Yeah. For someone who reads this book, is, is there a lesson or an over, what, what's one thing or the, the biggest thing you want someone who reads your book to take away from it? Well, I'm glad you asked that. I'd like it to make a difference. I like, I'd like to make a difference. I mean, it's about having a voice and it's about speaking up and it's about, I'm 72 now. I don't know if you, I'm 72 now and never say never. And it's about standing up as a woman. I never realized women were so inferior till I came to New York. It's been fascinating. Oh my God. Um, I was in the bank one time, nothing to do with anything. And I'm having a serious conversation with the bank manager about something. And in the middle of the conversation, he goes, oh, I have to just tell you, I love your accent. And I remember thinking to myself, I bet you wouldn't say that to a guy if he was sitting opposite. You just wouldn't. You just wouldn't. Um, so I've been spoken down to. And, and But I kind of had those experiences already. Um, So, yeah, please stand up for yourself as a woman, as a human being. And, you know, parents, tell your children they're fantastic. Tell them you love them. Tell them, encourage them. Tell them they're the best. 
And if they want to do something you didn't do, say, look, I don't know anything about it, but if you think you could do that, go for it. It's all of the above. So did I miss anything out? <laughs> Absolutely not. I mean, that's, I, and I think you kind of share that. And, and there's a quote that I want to go through in the book in a bit that, okay. um, I, I, like for me was, again, I don't want to say the book was two paragraphs, but all encompassing of, of what you were trying to share. I want to turn a little bit to sort of some of the, some of the press or so that, that has come about from this book, because there's been some articles from like daily mail or so um, characterizing the book as like controversial or, um, you know, making, I don't want to say dis disparaging your family or so, which I, I, I did not get that at all. Do you, do you have any, any response or do you have want to say something to maybe some of the press that that the book has received or it's it's not even worth it like people who are posting this these articles haven't even read the book it's pretty apparent well um all most of the press who read wrote stuff we did actually send them chapters they didn't do it just sight unseen um and people are fa kind of fascinated with my brother see my feeling was he's behaved badly in public so i didn't put anything out there that wasn't already known and a couple of the, one of the, the last journalists I did a piece for the Sunday Mirror, um, turned out he'd had dealings with my brother. So, you know, if you've been shouted at by Philip Green, if you're the press, he used to phone them up and berate them. If you've been shouted at by Philip Green, you know exactly what I'm writing about. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And this guy was fantastic because we did the interview and then he was away and they didn't put it in the paper straight away. And when he came back, I said, look, I've got a little bit to add, um, should we go for it? I think it might make a good headline. And the, the thing about apology, which was in some courses I'd, I'd uh, facilitated in England, I'd put them on. I didn't lead them. And there were these, um, I can't remember the word, but there were different um, apology, forgiveness, blah, blah, blah. And this guy, to his credit, quoted exactly, yeah, I loved him for that. He said, if you apologize, it's taking responsibility um, it doesn't mean you're wrong and it doesn't mean you're to blame and it's showing empathy that you have some empathy for the person's, how it, how it is over in their world. So I don't think I put anything out there that wasn't out there already, but obviously people are fascinated because they want to know in some perverse way, well, what makes this guy tick? Why is he really like that? I couldn't tell you. I have some similar traits to him, but I just display them differently. It's just yeah. a family. It's just an. It's just another um, dysfunctional family. Except he's in the headlines all the time. That's that's. <laughs> when I read this, you can tell you guys are, are brother and sister. <laughs> Correct. Correct. <laughs> Correct. Um, I, I want to turn a little bit now to you as an entrepreneur. Um, you. I, I oh you, yes, let's you, talk about the restaurant. You, you own or you own and operate, founded a restaurant here in New York City, planted New York. Um, what's that experience been like? You, you touch on it towards the end of the book, um, sort of reference that this may be a source for your, your next book. Uh, so share a little about what that experience is like in New York City, a woman from another country being a, an entrepreneur. Well, do you know what it's like moving from another country? It's like, and I know you supposedly speak the same language as we do. I have reservations about that, but uh, oh my God, you're a nobody. You're a nothing. You're not anybody. You're toast. I mean, I had to get a social security number. I, I couldn't get a bank account. I couldn't uh, 
get a cell phone um, account. I mean, you're nobody. I didn't even go to the East Side for two years because I didn't know my way. <laughs> you know, my favorite one is this is a C train that's now going to turn into an F train and is now going to go express. It's like, sorry, that doesn't happen in England. The tube goes to this stop and then it goes to this stop and then it goes to this stop. And that's how it rolls. Um, I wanted to live in America. I really wanted to live in America. And without going into all the stuff about immigration, and let's keep that under, under the radar, I ended up owning a restaurant in New York. It was not my intention. And I couldn't have chosen anything harder if I tried. Bar none. The end. None. Zero. So the restaurants had a few incarnations. It started off as a burger bar because I believe the, the instruction that you have to buy an existing restaurant. So we did that. And I just found some paperwork actually from 2014. And I, I know, you know, what Grubhub and Seamless are, you know, takeout stuff. We did a lot of, we did a lot of money in 2014. We were doing like 20,000 a month just on takeout. And we were paying our way and we were paying the rent and blah, blah, blah. Um, and then I changed it and had these partners come in, which was terrible, terrible, but I got through it, terrible. And now I have planted and then we closed down for a pandemic and it's hard enough running a restaurant, full stop. Now I'm running a restaurant in a pandemic. Um, but as you can tell, I like a challenge and I can, I'm, I'm tough. Um, I don't know what else to say. It's craziness, but... Uh, you know, I love talking to the customers. We have live music. It's a, an experience and it's, it's, an, it's an expression of me. That's what I wanted to ask. What, what element of owning a restaurant, right? Because there's, put, put aside the money. And I think like if you read any article or any book on, on restaurant, like margins are low and it's tough to keep a restaurant. So put aside all of that. What aspect of, of owning a restaurant, particularly as a business, do you enjoy that you're still in it? Well, I don't know if enjoy, but I have to tell you, if I was still in England, I'd be sitting in my house, not doing anything. Uh, I've been out and about. I was home for three months. I was on lockdown. But most of the rest of the time, I go on the subway with my mask on and I take care and I haven't caught anything and I'm healthy. And uh, I've learned stuff I never, ever, ever knew I would ever need to know. And I think that's quite interesting. And I've stretched myself so much. And there's still like all the way to go. But I mean, at 9.30 last night, I've got a consultant chef and she was on the phone to me while she was driving home saying, oh my God, and I don't know about the service and blah, blah, blah. We got to do this. Blah, blah. You know, just, I had a bit of a nothing life before that. I mean, yes, I brought up my kids and I was married, but it wasn't it wasn't exciting. This, this, you know, that you can, you can arrive in America aged, I don't know, 60 something and have this last piece of your life be so challenging and exciting and interesting. And the thing I love here is there's not much of an age divide. We're very snobby in London. All my friends here are younger than me. All of them, I would say. And nobody cares. There's no age divide. So I've kind of, it's like I've kind of regained some of my youth somehow. Not that I ever was very old in spirit, but it's, it's, I can't, you know, I sit here sometimes and I'm like, 
I probably could find my way around New York better than London now. But I like my London people. I often speak to my people in London because it's a different conversation. We have different nuances in the English and you can have a real conversation. And I've got a few English friends here um, and I miss my girls, you know, my posse. But uh, this has been, because, you know, if you'd have said to me 50 years ago, actually, you're going to live in America full time. You're going to run a restaurant. I say, you're an idiot. You know, why are you telling me that? Well, we appreciate you having you in New York. So, well, thank you. I feel appreciated. I, I want to share again. I, I mentioned this previously, but one. A, oh, your seminal, your seminal. On, I'm dying to know what it is. Go on. Um, you share in the book, and I, I quote: "Then I had an epiphany, a moment when I started loving myself, and I decided I was good enough. All that time, I'd been looking for someone to love, and there I was all the time, me." that wit, that comedian, that intellectual, that sexy creature. So I forgave myself for overeating and beating myself up and always judging myself for not being a good enough daughter, sister, mother, parent, friend, wife, human being for loving chocolate more than life. Oh my and God. <laughs> that to me, I, I, you know, again, as I read the book, it was a conversation. And then this, I saw this and it's like, wait a minute, this, I can't pass over this. What, what made you, for me, this was like the most reflective statement in the book. After you finished writing it, what, what did you feel like? What did completing the book, whether it's publishing or, or just actually completing the book, what did it make you feel to finally put it all together? Can I tell you the moment, first of all, I can remember very clearly, and it's funny that I said to you earlier, I was texting with someone in London this morning. I can remember when I had that moment because um, occasionally, very, and bring me back to what you asked just now, but because I wander, but very, <laughs> what a surprise, very occasionally we would go out with my mother on a Saturday night in London <clears throat> and her... Saturday night out, she'd go out with her co-conspirator, this woman called Phyllis, and they'd dress up to the 99s, and they were quite elegant, the two of them. And we'd go to a casino where we'd have dinner, and they knew my mother, and they'd welcome her in, and because my brother was a member, we'd, you know, we'd have dinner, and we'd sit, and it would be lovely. And at the next table were some people that I knew my brother knew, and in fact, I knew the guy. Um, he's a theater impresario and my kids had done work experience for him. But I knew the woman, I knew who she was from the newspapers, the woman sitting next to him who became my personal trainer. And I was, I still have that feeling where I have to make myself be bold. But I went up to her and I said, oh, I'm blah, I'm so-and-so's sister. I'm Philip Green's sister, which was enough. And I said, and I know you train people in the gym. Can I train with you? And I was to do with losing a few pounds like now, unfortunately. And we started training. And I know, I don't know if you know this thing, the adrenaline kicked in. And she started to give me a sense of self-worth and that I was good at, the whole thing sort of kicked in. And I started going to Weight Watchers and then I started getting divorced. And I don't know if I said, the best diet in the world is the getting divorced diet. Because I just started to build my self-esteem. And it kind of went from there. And that must be, I've been here 10 or 11 years. So that's got to be 15 years ago. But I just, that one step 
where I went to somebody carrying my extra 20, 25 pounds sick and I walk out with it. There was nothing rather I'd, there was nothing I'd less rather have done, believe me, than work out in the gym. And she was very forceful. She was my sort of, because you've got to work out with your sort of person as well. Do you understand that? You can't just, I'm very funny and I think my brother has that quality. I like my people. I like people who are like me. You don't have to be like outspoken and outraged, but you've got to speak your truth or you've got to be intentional. You've got to be about something in life, you know? And I guess that's why, because I didn't really know you that well, but I just sensed something in you that was like, oh, we're going to have a real conversation. You know, you're a real person. You're up for something. So that was the epiphany for that piece that you said, the, the, oh, I am good enough after all, you know, and the rest of it was a little bit of a joke. You know, I prefer better than chocolate. I love myself now. I was very addicted to food, very, very, as you've seen through the book. Um, so what was the rest of your question? Why did, about the book now, the last oh, piece? I, I, well, I think it was just like, for me, that was the takeaway. And I guess if, if you had, that being the moment you realized, like a powerful moment for you, when, when you completed the book, right? Whether it, if you want to talk about in terms of the final, oh, right. the final period, or when it was published, like what was your takeaway from the entirety of it for you? Well, I had a very nice experience. I think I mentioned I'd done some articles in the Jewish Chronicle, and this guy Richard Burton. I know he was named after the anyway. He's written a very funny article about being called Richard Burton. But anyway, he was the managing editor at the newspaper I wrote the pieces for. And then fast forward, um, I'm on LinkedIn, you know, a year ago or whatever it is. And I see him on LinkedIn. And we hadn't really had any contact for all those years. And I end up asking him, first he read the book and he loved it. And he's like a 60-year-old guy. And he's a guy. And I thought, oh, this is good. He ended up being my um, proof editor. So I wouldn't let him move anything around in the book except paragraphs uh, except commas and punctuation so i had a lot of support from him and we developed a fantastic camaraderie and we used to laugh and joke and you know be sarcastic and he was smart and funny and educated and i loved that so the actual putting the book to bed piece the last last piece was really fun and satisfying and i felt heard I think that's a very important, I possibly haven't touched on that. I don't know if that, how that resonates for you. It's very important to feel heard. Do you know that? A lot of people don't feel got. They don't feel heard. They don't feel validated in whatever form it comes to you in. So he really heard me. So we put, I was excited. And I, I... It was my baby. I definitely knew it was my baby. And there was this place where I kind of knew what I'd written was okay, was good, was, was funny, was, I like making people laugh. So I kind of, I went in on quite a high note, which was interesting for me because I'm always like, I like to leave a little loophole. I like the, remember the piece I wrote about giving birth? Um, this joke where I said, oh, I'm in labor. Oh, I think I'll come back tomorrow because I like to have a back door out of things. And my, one of my favorite lines, which I don't even know where it came from, um, where I put at least so 
I'm at least I'm fully committed, if not fully dilated. You remember that when I was giving birth, this time I was fully committed. I was in it. And yes, you know, I'm lucky because I'm well connected. It gives me a, a, a leg up, but you know, that's what made the book funny and entertaining and interesting anyway. So if you've got it, flaunt it, as I say. Um, yes, yeah, so I was quite pleased with myself and I still am. And um, you know, it's like achieving something that you decided you want to do when you're 18. That was that's quite a long time. still chasing. That's something <laughs> still chasing. Oh, I don't know. What's with the podcast? I mean... I'm, I'm moving towards it. I feel like someone... First, I want to touch on your, your comment about listening. And that's, that's such an important lesson. I, I know I, I was single for a very long time, right? My, am I right now 36 years on this earth? I was just going to ask how old you are. So you're 30, <laughs> okay. You were single for a long time. Very long time. And I think one of the things someone, actually a couple of my exes told me that one of my biggest issues is that I don't know how to listen when people want to be listened to. And that's something that like, there's, there's a way that people want to be heard. There's, it's not just listen and critique, listen and give feedback. There are times where, you know, people just want to be listened to. Um, so that I'm nodding, like anyone can see me nodding, <laughs> but I'm nodding. <laughs> so that, that, as you shared that about being heard, um, and, and your proof editor letting you through this process, be heard in a way that you want to be heard, I think is super potent. Um, going back to like, my my things i'm still kind of this podcast actually is is i think a medium by which i'm trying to figure out what i want to do with my life that's um, brilliant i i take my hat off to you i wouldn't even know technologically how to do with it but if you want some tips about listening i'll give you some in a minute if you're ready awesome very maybe maybe you include that in your next book um elizabeth this has been such a fun episode i i always love talking to you and the book is absolutely incredible um, if people want to co connect with you, what are some good ways that people can connect with you? It's a bit of a pain to find on the lovely Amazon, as you know, bless it. But if you go in through Google, the, the byline on the top is, um, it's called Not in the Script. The byline says, Black Sheep in the Billionaire's Family. That might help you. So, um, and the name is Elizabeth Green. So go in through Google. You should find it on Amazon.com. Um, and for anyone... Outside America, you can get it on Amazon.co. It's, it's on every Amazon there is to be had. And if you happen to be in New York, I've got some copies in the restaurant and I will gladly autograph it for you and put some pithy comment if you want to come by and charge you for it, some small amount. So uh, be my guest. Um, yep, very well. I'll definitely link up the, the book. Again, not in the script by, by Elizabeth Green uh, in the show notes. Uh, and also, if you're in the New York City area, visit Planted. Uh, you can check it out on their website, plantednewyork.com. I'm super Absolutely. excited to head out there. I know, I know I haven't taken you up on that just yet, but I will. I, I definitely will. Elizabeth, again, this has been such a pleasure. You are such a pleasure. First of all, I want to tip the like, congratulate you for publishing this book, sharing it. Not only is it an inspiration to me, as I shared that I, I've been wanting to write a book for such a long time, but the style in which you wrote it, how transparent, vulnerable, and sh like the amount of sharing that you do um, for me has been going through the book, really inspirational. Um, so I, I thank you for that, sharing your stories, sharing your life, because there are a lot of lessons 
to be taken uh, from from your experience in, in the book. I hope so. I hope so. As we as we wrap up, because I don't want to keep you any any more than than I have to. Uh, what are some parting words that you may have for anyone listening in the audience? Um, you know, a closing a closing remark. Okay, so two things. So I gather you're in a nice relationship now. So congratulations on that. And the seek. I also was in a men's and women's club. And occasionally we'd have joint meetings, but the women and the men, and it was led by this guy, Louis, who I very briefly mentioned in the book. The, the, I'm gonna, the key about listening, and I've been very good today because I'm a terrible interrupter, and I've made myself sit and listen and let you talk. The thing we discovered in the men's and women's clubs is if you're with a woman and she says to you, oh my God, and then this happened and I lost this, and then my shoe broke and the heel fell off, and blah, blah, blah. We don't want you to fix anything. You don't have to make it better. We just want you to hear it and get it. And Louis had this way. He used to lead these men's and women's clubs and he would say, I'm so sorry. And he would say it in a way that you kind of went, oh, he understands what happened to me. And very often out of that, the next piece would be that you turn around and go, Oh my God, I've just realized next time I'm going to do A, B, C, and D, and I'm not going to let the things happen to me last time. And you can resolve it for yourself. And that's the juice. That's the magic. Super Mark powerful. Elizabeth <laughs> Green, thank you so much for your time and energy here on the Adulthood Revisited podcast. And AR Nation, until next time, take care, be well, bye for now. Hey there, AR Nation. Before we go, I wanted to remind you of the Super Affiliate Accelerator. Whether you're looking to get started with an online business or if you're struggling to see the traction you've been hoping for in your current online business, the Super Affiliate Accelerator can help you see the success that you want in your business and in your life. The Super Affiliate Accelerator is an all-in-one, high-ticket marketing community where you'll get access to proven training, weekly coaching and mentoring from seasoned and accomplished marketers who've sold millions of dollars in products and services online, as well as access to a private mastermind community of like-minded and supportive business owners and professionals. Right now, the SAA coaches are offering a free complimentary business strategy call. So if you're ready to build a strong and profitable online business and brand, take advantage of the complimentary business strategy call today and learn more about the Super Affiliate Accelerator by visiting richardkiston.com forward slash SAA.